Welcome back to another episode of the Rare Disorder podcast of my Meet an Expert series. Today, I have a special guest with me, Miss Milani Hardy. Miss Hardy is a licensed certified genetic counselor at JScreen, which is a national nonprofit offering genetic testing and education. Miss Hardy, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast today. Just to get started, and so my listeners can get to know you a bit, could you please give a brief introduction of yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Shivani, for having me here today. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. Um, so I am a genetic counselor, um, which is a really unique profession. There aren't too, too many of us around, um, but we talk to people about how genetic conditions impact them and their family members um, and help them understand genetic testing. So it's a really cool job. It, it really, um, you know, checks a lot of boxes for me. Prior to becoming a genetic counselor, I was a high school science teacher. So I did that for almost a decade. Um, I taught high school biology and chemistry and then one year of forensics um, and really loved it, loved the teaching, working with students. Um, but it was a job I knew I wasn't going to do forever. I just didn't know what I was going to do next. And so by chance, I just happened to meet a genetic counselor at a, a teacher event that I had gone to. And when I heard about the job, I knew that that was the next thing. So long story short, I went back to school after quite a while um, as a teacher and uh, loved everything about it. I went to the program in North Carolina um, and after teaching, I ended up working in a maternal, fe maternal fetal medicine specialist clinic, so an MFM clinic, which is sort of like a high-risk OB, um, which was a great place to start after graduation. I was able to work with uh, a lot of great doctors. One of them was a geneticist MFM, which means that he had extra training in genetics. So. Um, with him and then the other genetic counselors I was working with there, I learned quite a bit um, about prenatal genetics and, and you know what it takes to work in a clinic and, and make a, a genetic counseling clinic run. Um, and when I was ready to move on, I stumbled upon JScreen um, and it was a totally unique experience for me. Um, I had never worked in telehealth before. That was actually a pretty, nerve-wracking. I wasn't sure whether I would like that so much or not, but mm -hmm. I decided to dive in um, and working from a, a distance. So Emery, as you may know, is in Atlanta. I am living um, out in my, my home outside of Richmond, Virginia right now. And so, um, you know, knowing that I wasn't going to be very close to my coworkers, but We've, we've made it work. It's a really cool job. It's a really neat way to do it um, from a distance and working from home. And it turns out that I love it very much. Um, I, I'm kind of introverted, so I really love being around, you know, my dogs and my family and getting to go outside for walks and do all those kinds of things that you don't always do when you're working in an office building, so. Thank you for that introduction. Um, I'm really happy that you like finally found the perfect job for you and that it's just like the perfect working environment that really accommodates to you and stuff like that. Um, so now I just wanted to kind of dive into the J screen side of things. 
Um, so just to start off, I was just like wondering if you could briefly describe what JScreen does and also the various service that it can offer to patients or just people in general. Yeah, yeah. So JScreen is really a public health initiative. Um, so it was established uh, within the, the um, Department of Human Genetics School of Medicine within Emory University um gosh eight years ago now and um the the goal at the time was to try to make more accessible more affordable genetic testing that can benefit people in certain circumstances so when jscreen started um the goal was to reach um people who were planning a pregnancy, so preconception genetic testing, um, to get them the testing so that they had more information, they could make more informed reproductive decisions based on the results of genetic testing, and to do it in a way that was really patient friendly. So that's the goal is just to make it very accessible, very affordable um, for people who are, are planning a pregnancy. And since then we've expanded so originally it was expanded carrier screening and over the years since jscreen started we've gone from testing really just a handful of different conditions um, i think some of the earliest testing was blood-based testing which is very difficult to do from a distance mm -hmm. uh, we have switched to saliva so very again patient friendly we can do it anywhere across the u.s um, just by shipping a saliva kit and helping people you know, do it that way. Um, so we did the expanded carrier screening. We have moved from just a handful of diseases. We're now testing 226 conditions on our panel. So very comprehensive. Uh, and then in the last couple years, we've, um, we've heard from a lot of our patients that they're not only interested in reproductive planning, but also knowing about their personal cancer risk. So there's cancer genetic testing that, that is available, and we just started offering that at the beginning of this year. Um, we had done a pilot project prior to that, so it's it's been a couple years in the works, but um, across the U.S. offering it since, since the beginning of this year. And the panel there, we're testing 63 different cancer genes. So again, quite comprehensive, looking at a lot of um, potential risk that people may have, especially if they have family history. Mm -hmm. um, so you mentioned like it, that you do the testing through a kit that you ship to people. So could you like elaborate more on the kit and like just like some details of it and how it works and how like if a patient decides to sign up for this testing, how the whole process will look? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, we wanted to offer clinical level testing. So that's the same kind of testing that you would get in your doctor's office, for example. Um, and there's a big difference between that and, you know, like a direct to consumer test. A lot of the stuff that you'll find online is direct to consumer. Um, they're regulated differently. Clinical level testing is done differently. It's usually much more comprehensive um, much more detailed in the way that the genes are looked at. So, um, but typically the only way to access clinical level testing is to schedule an appointment with your doctor, mm -hmm. um, 
your doctor about the various options. What your doctor will offer you may differ depending on who your doctor is and how comfortable they are with genetic testing. So what we wanted to do is sort of flip that on its head a little bit and make it more patient initiated. So ours is clinical level testing that is initiated by the patient. And the way that happens is a patient would go onto our website. So it's jscreen.org. Um, they can sign up for a test kit and there are the two options. So there's the expanded carrier screening or reproductive screening. And then there's the cancer screening, and then you can also bundle those. So there's there's several options to choose from. Um, the patient just puts in their personal information. So that might include um, their demographic information. Sometimes we collect some personal or family history for the reproductive screening. We'll, we'll um, collect some information about their partner, whether their partner's been tested before. Um, and what we're looking for is, you know, anything that might tip us off that there is an increased chance that a person might uh, be a carrier of something, things that are known in the family that we want to be on the lookout for in that person's results, those sorts of things. Um, they include their insurance and their doctor information, and then um, the payment information. So those are the four basic parts of, of the registration. Once the registration comes in, it's reviewed by a genetic counselor. There are several of us within JSCREEN, and our goal is just to look out for any things that we might you know, need to know prior to ordering the test. Um, so again, family history, partner history, those kinds of things that are going to tip us off that we might need to pay a little closer attention to certain pieces and parts of that patient's testing as it goes forward. Um, and, and we can adjust as needed. Sometimes we just reach out to the patient for more information. Sometimes we have all the information we need and we, we just move the, the case along. From there, our front office is gonna reach out to the doctor. So um, sometimes that is the patient's doctor. So the information that we get online, um, we'll just reach out for the doctor's signature for testing. Um, sometimes people will come through a screening event. So we might go to a community center, a college campus, you know, there are different screening events that we do. And we'll often have a doctor who's signing off on the testing for everybody who's there. So it's, it differs depending on where the patient is and what the situation is, but we get the doctor's order. Once we have that, we ship the kit to the patient. So the patient is alerted by email of all the steps as they're occurring in the process. The kit gets to the patient, they spit in a tube, bundle it back up, that gets shipped to the lab. So it's just drop it in a, in a you know, USPS box or FedEx box, depending on um, how it goes. Um, but it gets shipped to the lab. Testing often takes somewhere between one and three weeks-ish. Um, so it differs patient to patient, but about that amount of time. When the results come in, they come into our patient database. They're again reviewed by a genetic counselor. So we're um, looking for any results that you know we need to review, any family history that we need to pay closer attention to, anything like that. Once that review happens, we alert the patient that their results are ready and available. And um, then the patient makes a genetic counseling appointment. And we have several ways of doing that. They can happen by phone or video. Um, we, our genetic counselors actually keep 
very odd hours because we find that a lot of patients don't want to make their appointments between eight and five during the work day. Mm-hmm. So try to offer lots of evening appointments, weekend appointments, lots of times where, where we can have a minute to talk to the patient, walk them through the results, help them understand what was there. Then we send them the reports on, on the back end. Um, so the patient gets full access to all of their reports. We also are obligated to send to their doctor. So the ordering physician gets a copy of those results as well. And uh, so all the information makes it into the patient's uh, health record as well. Mm -hmm. So this seems like a really like insightful and um, it's really like, I feel like patients may find out something they like never knew um, about themselves, like through this genetic test, especially since it's so specific and kind of like a different approach than normal. So um, I was just like wondering if you can recall any instances where like patients' lives were changed through the information or the results that they got from these genetic tests. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It it actually happens all the time um, where we, um, you know, we're, we're, finding out information about patients that really impacts their lives or how they, how they move forward. So, um, in the reproductive realm, you know, when we identify carrier couples, so that's where both members of a couple carry the same condition. And it means that they would then have a 25% chance or one in four chance of having a child with that condition in each pregnancy. Um, now, sometimes when people find that information, it might be a mild condition, a very treatable condition. Um, so it doesn't necessarily impact their reproductive planning, but it might impact what happens after the baby's born. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, they may want to consult with a specialist or have some periodic monitoring to make sure their child stays healthy, that sort of thing. Um, Sometimes when they're a carrier couple, it, it, it ends up being quite a severe condition, maybe not a treatable condition. And those are the instances where people then, because they've tested prior to pregnancy, they have lots of options open to them as far as how they can have a healthy child and avoid having a child that's then impacted by a very severe genetic condition. Um, so we hear from couples all the time that they pursued IVF and they're so happy that they had the chance to um, ensure that they had a healthy child. Um, in the cancer realm, it's still a new test, but we're already hearing lots of patient stories about how it's it's impacted them. So for example, um, we had a patient who came through with a very significant family history of a variety of cancers. Um, This particular patient knew that there was a a cancer gene mutation in her family, and she was very anxious um, because of the very pronounced family history of cancer um, that she might be a carrier. She very luckily turned out not to be a carrier and had immense relief um, over that. So, yeah, it, it really just depends on the patient's circumstances, what we find from the test results, but we hear stories like that all the time that this testing has a really profound effect on people's lives. Mm-hmm. All right, so um, 
As you know, like my podcast, um, most of my listeners are rare disease patients or like rare disease um, patient caregivers. Um, so yeah. I was just wondering like how your services could be beneficial or applicable to rare disease patients and those in my audience and how they can like perhaps utilize their services in their journeys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there are a number of different ways where um, our testing could be beneficial. So it just sort of depends on um, what stage they're at in their lives, what kinds of um, things that they're looking to find out. Um, and that would help us guide them in, in terms of what kind of testing might, might be the most beneficial. So for example, um, if somebody had a rare disease that they were concerned about passing on um, to future generations, um, we could help them to understand if it was a condition that was on one of our panels um, so, so that the testing might be beneficial for them for reproductive purposes or reproductive planning. Um, we can test their partner to see if they're a carrier of the same condition, if it is one of those on our panel. Um, we have other conditions on our panel that are called X-linked conditions. So they're, uh, they can be carried by females and usually are more likely to impact males. So sometimes it's not dependent on whether the partner is a carrier um, to determine if there's a chance of passing that on into the next generation. Um, if the rare disease were a certain type of cancer, it might be a cancer that's represented on one of our panels, um, so uh, or on our cancer panel. So um, that's another thing. We always want people to, to feel free to contact us because uh, we can help to guide them in terms of what information they're looking for, whether our testing might be beneficial to them, um, whether we're capable of testing the particular genes that could be involved in their particular rare disease. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind that not all rare diseases are genetic. Um, so sometimes our testing might not be uh, helpful, but uh, the genetic counselors on staff at JScreen are, are here to help. We're, we're very interested in hearing um, questions and, and inquiries that people have for us and helping them sort through whether we can be, whether we can be helpful to them. Um, yeah, I've like um, interviewed quite a few patients and like a trend I've really noticed is that like a lot of these patients, um, rare diseases or rare conditions are actually genetic. And that makes me like think of like how um, they can possibly be tested through JScreen for their condition. Um, and specifically, like one person I interviewed actually had a rare cancer of thyroid cancer which I'm not sure if JScreen offers a service for um, testing for that cancer. But that was just like a thought I had as you were discussing um, the linkage between rare diseases and this genetic testing. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that you mentioned there that I think would be really important for us to, to kind of address. So if a person is looking for a determination of um, you know, their particular rare disease and, and looking for personal health information. Um, there's, a, there's a difference between our two tests. So the reproductive testing is really sort of more fo forward focused. Um, it's, it's really meant for helping people to make reproductive plans. That being said, if we were to test a person who is impacted by a genetic disease that's on our panel, um, and they were doing that test for reproductive planning, that's, that's great. 
um, the lab is analyzing both copies of each gene. So mm -hmm. just a little background, each person has two copies of every gene in the genome. So a set from their mother, a set from their father, so two full sets of, of genetic material. Mm -hmm. The lab, both copies of those genes looking for mutations in both. So technically speaking, if somebody were affected by a condition on our panel and they did our reproductive screen, the lab is likely to, to pick that up. And that's, that's something for people to know when they do this kind of testing. Sometimes there are conditions that a person may actually genetically have, even if they don't physically have any symptoms of them. Mm -hmm. And we like, pick those up as we do that testing. So it is something we try to make sure people are aware of. When you do our testing, it's not an anticipated outcome. It's not the goal of the testing but it is possible that our lab is gonna pick up that a person might be affected by a genetic condition on our panel. So that's sort of one thought with that one. On the cancer panel, the question you would ask was about thyroid cancer. Um, and, and our panel is quite robust. 63 genes is a lot of genes to test. It's not the most comprehensive, um, but when we designed that cancer panel, what our goal was was to was to design a cancer panel that's gonna be um, fairly all-encompassing, fairly comprehensive for people in the general population um, to do cancer screening um, or, or cancer genetic screening. So there are certain cancers that our panel is maybe not as well equipped to pick up, but if a person lets us know that they have, for example, um, a certain type of cancer themselves or a stronger family history of certain types of cancers. If it's not well represented on our, pan on our cancer panel, sometimes we have the ability to add in a few more genes that might be applicable in that particular person's um, family history or, or personal history. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason why we don't throw those into our general panel is because sometimes those genes are associated with um, cancers that maybe there is not a lot of screening for, there's not a lot that we can do with that information, or maybe we don't know a lot about the gene and how it behaves yet. So they're not genes that are really good for the general population to, have to be tested for because we would have a lot of limitations as far as what we can tell people if we were to find something in those genes. Mm -hmm. If we have very specific family histories or personal histories of cancer, we can talk to the patient about, you know, how we could adjust the panel a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, like, um, you mainly screen for um, cancers that have, like, treatment options or, like, you can do, you can provide the patient with um, something that would probably be helpful to them in the future in navigating that journey. Correct. Yeah, that was the design. That was the goal with, with the design of the panels. We wanted to make sure that um, the things that we were testing, the information we might get from those test results are going to be actionable um, and are going to be applicable to most individuals in the general population. So all of your major cancers are going to be well represented on our on our panel, you know, breast cancer, prostate cancer, ovarian, um, you know, stomach, uh, all of colon cancer, all of the big ones um, are quite well represented on our panel. It's some of the, the rarer, more obscure ones that 
we might have good representation on our panel, or we might have to think about other testing that we could potentially add in to make it more robust for that that particular patient. But the you know the the goal with the genetic counseling team is to is to try to personalize a little bit. You know mm-hmm. we want to that what we're offering to a patient is going to do the best we can at serving their needs. All right, and then so I just had another question for you about just like some background about JScreen. Um, if you know, like, do you know, like, how JScreen was started? Like, what was the motivation behind starting it? Um, could you please provide some information about that? Yeah, it was it was kind of a collaboration between a, a lot of things coming together. So, um, our two founders were two genetic counselors who were working within the Emory system. Um, so, working within Emory Healthcare, and one of them in particular both of them really were interacting with a lot of um, younger patients, very, very sick patients who were coming in with these um, genetic disorders that we knew were preventable. We knew that people could avoid having children with these particular conditions and instead have healthy children if only they knew early enough. they were at risk for those things. And so because when with reproductive planning, the time that a lot of people end up getting offered reproductive carrier screening is after they're already pregnant, that really limits their options. So that was sort of the conceptualization of JScreen was to try and devise a system where we can do testing that's more patient-friendly, happens before a person gets pregnant, so that they then have as many options as possible to understand the condition, to know what life would be like um, if they had a child with that condition, and then to know what their options are with that information. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was part of it. The other part was there, was, there were um, a few individuals who had personal experience. So there's a family that we worked very closely with, the Golds, um, who ended up having a a child with a condition called mucolipidosis type four. Uh, It's it's quite a difficult condition in that uh, people with ML4, for short, um, they, they only develop to a certain point intellectually. Um, they can live a very long lifetime, but um, you know the developmental level is gonna stay that of about a one and a half year old. Um, so they had had testing um, prior to getting pregnant, but it turned out they didn't realize it was quite limited. It didn't pick up that they were both carriers of the same condition. Mm-hmm. So they didn't realize the risk that they had. Um, and after that experience, they, they really wanted to make sure that, um, that other people had the information that they didn't uh, before they became pregnant. Mm-hmm. So they collaborated with these two genetic counselors who, who started JScreen and, and along with the help of some donors, um, JScreen came into existence. So um, what have been some like major achievements and accomplishments of JScreen since it was started up? 
Yeah, um, we have served uh, over 10,000. I think we're actually close to 20,000 patients through testing. Um, so we've we've served a lot of people. And then beyond that, we've been able to uh, educate a lot of individuals. So hundreds of thousands of people we've, we've reached through our educational efforts to help people understand um, genetics, specifically Jewish genetics, because that's a, a big part of the population that we serve, although anybody, any background can test with us. Um, you know, helping people to understand when testing might be right for them and, and we have a, a good um, concept that testing isn't right for all people. You know, sometimes depending on what stage a person is in in their life, testing might be more or less right for them. Um, we have served people in all 50 states. Uh, a big thing for us is the fact that we're able to offer clinical level testing and then genetic counseling that comes along with um, testing that happens through JScreen. So it's it's several steps above what a person might typically be able to access online. The direct-to-consumer testing is a whole different ballgame. It usually is not nearly as comprehensive or um, as in-depth of testing. So to offer clinical testing on a patient-friendly basis is really a big accomplishment. And then on top of that, we've, we've really been fortunate to be involved in a lot of different collaborations and partnerships. So we work with um, other universities and um, partners to do to complete research. There's a lot of research that happens through JScreen. We have a very robust and unique patient population that is a great place for us to learn more about um, what information is important to patients, um, how we can better serve our patients, how our testing can be, you know change to, to better serve patients. Um, so we, we do that. We also work, work with a lot of disease specific organizations to find out ways that we can better serve their, their populations, their, their support organization um, helps. And so we collaborate with a lot of them um, to, to really serve as many people as we possibly can. Yeah, um, so thank you for providing all that information that um, really helped me understand like how far JScreen has come and just like the growth of this organization throughout the years. Um, so you touched on like Jewish genetics. So I was wondering if you could like talk more about that. Um, you said that like most patients are Jewish. Is, it, is this because like it might be more prevalent in that um, in Jewish people, genetic conditions. Um, I was just wondering if you could just like elaborate more a little on that. Absolutely, yeah. So, um, so when Jacob was founded, there was a, a little bit higher um, attention to the Jewish population, and, and there still is when it comes to reproductive carrier screening specifically. Um, there's a little bit more attention paid when somebody says they have Ashkenazi Jewish backgrounds because um, the Ashkenazi population has gone through a number of what are called founder effects. And basically what that is, is when a small number of within a population moves to a new location and sort of founds a new population, then the genetics of that original population spreads its way through the new population. 
And that has happened several times in Ashkenazi Jewish history. So what we know is that there are a number of genetic conditions that are found much more commonly in the Ashkenazi Jewish population than in other populations, um, which is why there are a lot of conditions that we specifically test somebody who has Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry for. Now, that being said, we also recognize at JScreen that any person from any background has a chance to carry several different genetic conditions. There's no population that is free of risk, mm -hmm. uh, doesn't, doesn't exist. So, you know, although there are certain ones that we see more prevalently in the Ashkenazi Jewish population, there are also certain ones that we see more prevalent in Northern European, Southern European, African-American, Asian, Hispanic, you name it, there are conditions that we, we would see more commonly in that population. So when we, when we um, have evolved over time, part of our goal is to make what's called a pan-ethnic panel. Um, so we basically take a panel of disorders that are common in all the populations. We want to kind of make sure that our, our panel is robust for anybody from any background. Mm -hmm. Top of that, we've added in several that are more common in a variety of Jewish populations, so not just Ashkenazi, but also Sephardi, Mizrahi, Jewish, um, etc. So when somebody comes through JScreen, they're going to get tested for the whole gamut, the whole big bunch of, of conditions, because, you know, like, let's pick on Tay-Sachs. That's a, a one that we talk about a lot in the Ashkenazi Jewish population. It's definitely much more common in the Ashkenazi population, but could somebody from a different population carry it? Absolutely. And actually, there's been so much testing in the Ashkenazi population that it's much more likely that if we see a baby born with Tay-Sachs at this point, that they're not going to be Ashkenazi Jewish. Mm -hmm. um, because it, it's those other populations that we haven't been testing for Tay-Sachs that are, are, um, are more at risk. The Ashkenazi Jewish population is still common, but so many more people in that population have been tested and are aware of their risk. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why we see the differences. So that's where that pan-ethnic panel, that sort of testing for a whole bunch of stuff in all individuals from any background can be the most beneficial to make sure we're finding risk wherever it is. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, it helps me understand it a lot better now. Um, so just like moving on to a kind of like more personal side of a question. So I was just wondering, like, what are some things that you've learned ever since starting working with JScreen? Yeah, so many things. Um, so one of the things that I had mentioned uh, having to get used to was telehealth. Um, you know, working from home, only talking to people through phone and video. It was quite an adjustment because prior to that, I was in a clinic. I was, you know, meeting patients in my office and getting to, ch to a chance to chat with them in person. Um, and I've really been able to learn a lot about telehealth and also help to sort of spread some of that knowledge to genetic counseling students. I work with a couple different programs um, and, and try to teach their students about the differences in telehealth and how, you know, the, the cues that we pick up on when we're in person, 
you don't always have access to when you're working by telehealth. So certainly by phone, when you don't have any ability to see how the patient's really doing, what mm -hmm. nonverbal cues they're giving you, that was a big adjustment. But even by video, you know, when you only can see from the shoulders to the top of the head, and that's all the view that you're, you get, you don't get a chance to see that somebody's leg is shaking under the table or that they're clutching the, the handles of their chair, um, things like that. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's out on some of those context cues that we actually rely very heavy on with, heavily on when we're in person. Um, so there's a bit of an adjustment and a lot to get to, to know, but we now know we've done a lot of research um, that the telehealth experience can be equally as fulfilling as an in-person experience and sometimes can be hugely beneficial to patients because they don't have to travel, they don't mm -hmm. have to comfort of their own home or the people that they wanna be surrounded by when, when they hear um, sometimes new or unknown information you know, some patients are worried about their results until they kind of hear about them and and find out that there's there's information that's that's beneficial to them. So um, that was a big adjustment. And then um, another thing that's that's been a big one that I've learned quite a bit about is licensure. So in order to serve patients in all 50 states, our genetic counselors have to be licensed in all the states that have genetic counseling licensure. And currently there are maybe 28 or so is a lot. Um, so there's a lot to know about that. Um, I've learned a lot about the Jewish community. So most of the JScreen team is Jewish, but what we've learned is as we add new members to the team, um, those that come in often have a different experience from other members of the team. So we have some individuals like myself, not Jewish, I happen not to be Jewish. Um, some individuals who are Jewish by ancestry, but not necessarily practicing um, in, in any way. Um, we have flipped to the other end of the spectrum. We have um, a genetic counselor who is modern Orthodox. And so, um, you know, keeps kosher, observes all the holidays, you know, there's a, a whole different perspective there. And every time we bring in a new um, member of the team, we take the time to learn a little bit about their experience and mm -hmm. what they can tell us about their particular community. Um, for example, so we, we've, uh, in the last several years, it's, it's been about five years now, we've added two genetic counselors who both operated in the New York area, which is a huge, huge Jewish population. Um, and so their insights into, you know, where the people are and who they trust and which rabbis they go to and, um, you know, how we can help them to learn more about testing and the options that they have open to them. All of those are really important insights for the entire team. Um, and then, you know, the other, the other thing kind of related to both of those is I learned a lot about serving patients across the, the United States. You know, when you're working in person, you kind of get used to the population that's in your area. You know, you, you know all the providers, you know 
Um, if, if somebody needs a referral to an MRI, you know who to send them to. Mm-hmm. When serving patients across the U.S., that's a whole different ballgame. It's a, it's a totally different thing. So we've had to, to learn and adjust um, to figure out, you know, who are the providers in a given area that can help us when we have this sort of problem. Um, we rely a lot on our genetic counseling network to help us figure out, you know, we've got a patient who lives in rural Iowa who needs help with this. Who do we go to, you know? And, and so um, we work with a lot of different partners across the U.S., but the ability to work in telehealth means that we can access people of a variety of different ages, socioeconomic groups, people who might not otherwise have any option to mm-hmm. access the information um, because going to their doctor, you know, their doctor might not offer this kind of testing or if they wanted to do it, it might be four hours from them, you know, mm-hmm. um, being able to do it the way that we do it, we really are able to, to reach a lot of people. So um, I'm just curious. So you mentioned like how that um, you guys do it in all 50 states, the genetic counseling. So you have like to get um, 28 different licenses. So I was just like yeah. wondering, that seems like a lot to me. So I was just like wondering how the licensing process works. Yeah, it is definitely a lot. Um, mm-hmm. oh, it, the, the licensing process is a little different in every state, but generally about the same. Um, typically there's an application that you have to fill out and it it's just a lot of like demographic information some of your history so your schooling um that sort of thing all of them require that you have um passed your boards or you're eligible for your board exam so that's a that's a big thing you have to be a certified mm-hmm. counselor or on track to be one um and then different states have different requirements beyond that. They almost always will have some set of questions that you have to answer about um, your capability as a genetic counselor. You know, like, do you have a history of certain felonies? (laughs) You know, things like that. Yeah. Don't want to have one of those. Um, And then, uh, you know, whether you have the the capability to, um, sometimes they will some states that will ask you for to be fingerprinted or do mm-hmm. a background check. Um, sometimes you have to um, provide proof of certain things. So you might have to send in your transcripts. Um, all of them will require that you send in your certification, you know, board certification. Um, yeah, they, they all kind of differ a little bit, but generally the same process. Uh, and there's almost always a fee associated with it. So um, fees differ hugely from state to state. I think the cheapest um, license at this point is maybe $5, which was surprising when that one came up across. And the most expensive one historically was over a thousand. Oh my gosh. That is so high. Um, Yeah. That they, they eventually came down from that, but um, yeah, it was very cost prohibitive when it first came yeah, that's really, like, impressive that all your, like, genetic counselors are being licensed in all these states in order to provide this service. So I just thought that was interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. Different groups will do it differently. I mean, we've, we've chosen we've three genetic counselors who are licensed in um, all, all the states except for just a handful. Um, so they're the states that we really don't typically um, have patients that come from, but in those states, we have other genetic counselors we can refer them to. So we can still serve everybody from all 50 states. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, and then we, we have one other counselor who's just licensed in a, in a few states. Mm-hmm. So sometimes groups that, that serve patients like we do, they might have one, one counselor who's licensed in five, another and another five, another and another five until they get all of them covered. Um, what we've decided to do is because not all of our counselors are on at the same time or for all the hours that were available, we wanted to have as much access as possible. So we've decided to keep on keeping up with all the licenses and all the states as much as we can. Yeah, that sounds great, especially um, since just like making sure that a genetic counselor is available um, to patients when they need it um, and all that licensing. (laughs) But yeah. All right, so um, just to kind of like end off now, um, I was just wondering if there was like anything else you would like to tell my podcast listeners today. Um, it can be like anything general or even something specific. Um, just as a reminder, like my podcast listeners are mainly comprised of rare disease patients, caregivers, and also like these major rare disease organizations. Yeah, um, there's a couple things that that come to mind. One is I had mentioned before that if they have questions about whether testing is right for them, um, they can write genetic.counselor, so genetic.counselor at jscreen.org. That's the the email address goes to the genetic counseling team, and they can send us questions if they have them. Um, They can also go on our website, jscreen.org, and you'll see a contact us button there on the website. Um, that's another way to, to send questions our way and they'll, they'll come to the genetic counseling team. We'll respond to them. Um, so if they have any questions, they're welcome to do that. Another thing is that for anybody who is interested in testing, um, we have a coupon code that's available. It's J screen letter J S C R E E N 50 five zero J screen 50. And that'll give any person out there, $50 off of any test that we offer. Um, so that's something that if a person is interested in testing, they can access that coupon. And it's available for a limited time, um, but you know, should be good for, for a little while. Um, but I'm not sure when the when the end date is. So all right, so um, I would just like to thank you so much, Miss Hardy, for joining me today on my podcast and Um, sharing all this like wonderful information about jscreen and also yourself with my podcast listeners today and I'm really sure that they'll all benefit from all this information you provided so just thank you for joining me today you're welcome thanks for having me